Australia. Quake Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quake Cooper is the man. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. I'm your host, Ando. With me is Mitch. How's it going? Top-notch, mate. We had a pretty good weekend. Great to get out to the game at Leichhardt, even if uh, we weren't able to get the win. When I say we, I mean Natars. Uh, how was your experience on Saturday, mate? Yeah, I had a busy Saturday, but um, it was great. good to get out there to Leichhardt for the last game uh, at a suburban ground for the foreseeable future. But... Um, yeah, it was good. It was good. Good crowd, fourteen thousand three hundred roughly. Um, yeah, which is we're massive. out there filling the hill. So, pretty good atmosphere. Wasn't as good as the uh, Crusaders game a few weeks before. Uh, I just don't think that the performance by the Waratahs was yeah, enough to get yeah. that crowd involved as much. But that um, first half performance sucked, and so it really yeah. took a bit of the life out of. Yeah, it really the, sort of knocked it um, out. It, at the end of. The second half, they, the crowd got into it a little bit and it, they started to come alive, but yep, nowhere yep. near the atmosphere of no, uh, of that no. Crusaders game. Well, mate, we've got a lot to get through tonight. Why don't you start off by taking us through our social platforms and uh, Super Brew results for the week? Fantastic. So we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just search for Pick and Drive Rugby and we will come up. Do give us a like, a follow or a tweet, retweet. Um, or a follow, that'll do. Or whatever it is. <laughs> um, diving into Super Brew this week, SDC takes out the yellow cap this week, getting six picks right. Well done to you with Insane. a few upsets this week. So pretty mm. crazy. Um, everyone in the top three actually this weekend got all three, all six games right. So well done to all of you. But uh, SDC takes out the yellow cap on 8.25 points, followed by Morto in second place on six points, sharing that uh, second place Pointage on six points with Bird. If we dive into the overall leaderboard, we have finished the regular season now. So SDC is in first place. Well done to you for taking out the yellow cap this week. Also finishing the regular season in first place. We move into the quarterfinals now. So still a few weeks to go until the competition finally wraps up. But let's see if you can keep that top spot mm. for the next few weeks. Um, SDC on 96.33 points. Kirando, who has been in top place for the last few weeks, has gone down into second place on 94.5 points. Then we've got Dan Mori in third on 93.25 points. Now we have to give a shout out to favorite of the pod, regular host slash guest, uh, Rev or Mitch Evans, is in fifth place in our tipping comp. So he's definitely doing so much better than both you and I, Ando. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say it's because he's got the time now to do a little bit more research that he's not podcasting with us, but knowing why he's not podcasting with us, is probably, <laughs> he probably doesn't have any more time. He just Mate, knows. baby town equals less time than what you ever had before. I know. That's so, right. Um, so <laughs> either way, mate, it's good to see him up there. It brings us a little bit of credibility. So thanks Rev, for doing that for us, mate. Uh, tonight, what we're going to be doing is doing a wrap up of the sevens action over the weekend. Some pretty exciting results there for the men and women, as well as a bit of a preview of the upcoming Wallaroos test or tests. Uh, we then are going to go through our regular game reviews, little preview of the Super Rugby Pacific quarterfinals before we then jump on into the locker room. So a lot to get through, Mitch. How about we dive on into it? Let's go. 
All right, it's time to talk some sevens rugby now. And we had some great results by the Australian men's team over the weekend when the London sevens was taking place at Twickenham, the home of rugby. The Australia team came out victors in this tournament. So they got gold. Uh, they had some massive, massive performances, particularly in the the final series to take out the competition. So um, on Saturday, no, yesterday actually, Yesterday evening, they played South Africa uh, in the quarterfinal, and they came away victors 21-17. They then played uh, this morning, early this morning, 12.15 a.m. our time. They played Samoa in the semifinals, and they came away victors 26-14 there. They then played at 3 a.m. this morning, the New Zealand Sevens team, and uh, they got the victory there 19-14 in extra time. So... Well done to the Aussie men's sevens team. This has been a massive, massive tournament for them, a massive performance by this team. And it's just so great to see that the Australian sevens program is just moving forward leaps and bounds from what was quite a disappointing Commonwealth Games a few years, or Olympic Games actually a few years ago. Um, and they've done the swap, swap with the coaches now and we've got some players come through that are really putting a lot of passion into the jersey and, and putting in some really gutsy performances. Um, and looking forward now, the Australian Sevens team go to LA in August, uh, which is the last stop in the World Series, and they're now in uh, the box seat, really, to take out the whole tournament. So they're currently sitting second place in the rankings. Um, South Africa is in first place, but they're only two points behind. So if they can put in a big shift like they did this weekend uh, in LA in a few weeks' time, then they could take out the whole World Series tournament or the World Series. I guess it's just called the World Series, isn't it? Yeah, World so Series. Yep. The World, World Series. Series. So that would mean that Australia men's and women's programs are both world champions, which would be fantastic. And did you get a chance to watch any of the, the highlights or any of the games? Yeah, yeah, I saw the highlights. Um, and it was cool to see how close all the games were that we were able to come through winning each of the matches by, what, five points? Um eight and then three or four. So around that kind of level. And it was just, yeah, really, really challenging matches against quality opposition. The fact we beat New Zealand and South Africa particularly as two of the best teams in World Sevens was just awesome. Um, Henry Patterson's uh, hat-trick in the final was, again, just incredible scoring. The third of that hat-trick in the Golden Point extra time. Uh, Did you see Corey Tools? try from his own try line just busting out and going fine guys i'll do this all on my own and oh just that guy can can't he move he's so quick he's yeah, got some he's pace. incredible he's so it's just pace. great to great to see some emerging players um across the course of the last 12 months are really just settling into the quality performances on a more consistent basis um it's great to see and yeah hopefully in the next Next competition, they can step up and claim that World Series. Yeah, so the the next tournament or the final stop on the World Series is in Los Angeles on the 27th and 28th of August. So I would really um, shout out to everyone to, to get behind this Aussie 7 side. They're playing really, really well at the moment. Uh, the Aussie women's team has already wrapped up their series. They've taken it out. They won um, the World Series with a tournament to spare. That's how uh, good they were going, which is fantastic. Uh, it, it's unfortunate that in some ways Rugby Australia isn't putting a lot of money and promotion into the, the sides because I, as a rugby fan, I didn't even realize this was on if it didn't come up on my Twitter feed last night when I was sitting 
sitting down mm. to watch some TV and realized the game was on and I thought, oh, great, I'll, I'll chuck it on. It's on, um, it's on KO, so, or Fox, Foxtel, if you wanted to, to watch it. Not sure the, the uh, streaming rights for the next tournament because some of the tournaments have been streamed through World Rugby, some have been streamed through Foxtel. So um, we'll look into that and let you know when we get a bit closer to it. But I would really, really urge everyone to get out there and get behind these the, the men's sevens team because they're playing really, really well at the moment. Uh, and we've got the Commonwealth Games coming up soon too. So yep. massive, yep. massive preparation going on at the moment. And uh, a really young team, but putting in some great performances. How good. Well, should we move to the Wallaroos now, mate? We will move across to the Wallaroos. So Hugh96 on Twitter did come, uh, did mention in the locker room that he wanted to know our thoughts on how the Wallaroos would go in the Pacific Four series coming up. Uh, it starts next week, so not... <coughs> tomorrow uh but the following monday so the 6th of june uh, of is june. the first yeah. test for the wallaroos in this pacific four series they do play new zealand so it's um it's a big ask it's going to be a really big test for the australian women's team uh after their loss to japan a few weeks ago the girls have had time to go back to their homes and regroup and uh get back in touch with their families and do a little bit of self-training and they've come back into camp last week. So uh, the preparation is well underway for this series. The the pe- the teams playing in this series, if you aren't aware, are Australia, New Zealand, USA and Canada. So this is a really good preparation for the Wallaroos, but for all those, for all those nations with the R- Women's World Cup later in the year. What, how do you... What, what are your thoughts around this, Ando? How do you think the Wallaroos will go come up against uh, the New Zealand women? Oh, look, I, th- I think it's going to be a struggle. Um, we saw some of the challenges that the Wallaroos are facing when they went up against Fiji and Japan, particularly when they came up against Japan, team that's been together for longer, had more opportunities to play and train together. And um, the, the girls just weren't able to kind of step up to the consistency of fitness and performance required and, and accuracy as well within kind of passing and um, execution of the skills that we're trying to put in place out in the field. So my hope is that with the kind of three, two, three week lead in that they've had as a squad training together, that they will be able to address a lot of those execution issues that we saw in the last couple of games. But I think that we're still going to struggle because of the lack of match practice over the last two years. So my hopes are high as always. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if uh, we get some much-valued learning experiences from these <laughs> upcoming matches, if that's a really uh, nice way to put it. Uh, my only hope for this, well, my little bit of glimmer for the Wallaroos is that they have played that series against Fijiana and uh, Japan women's team, that New Zealand hasn't had that time and that, that, that game time. So they've been just doing their own training and their own internal trials and things, whereas the Australian team have actually played some test matches in the last few weeks. So I do know that, and we all know that New Zealand are a step ahead in a lot of areas of rugby. Um, We'll be interesting to see how the levels are when it comes into this series. I think we'll see a much improved performance from this Wallaroos team than we've probably seen in the last few years, just in the Mm -hmm. fact that they're able to get some game time uh, and some good prep leading into this tournament with the World Cup later in the year. I still think New Zealand probably will get the victory in this game, but um, I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout. I think the Wallaroos will put in a good performance. Yeah, well, he's hoping. He's hoping, and the game is actually in six days' time. 
or so six days time from when it comes into your uh, podcast list. So, yeah, so Monday um, the 6th, 12.45pm. Uh, yeah, it is available on Stan Sports. So a little bit tricky to get to watch that live if you're at work, maybe take a long lunch and or in a half day and, and watch it in the my, afternoon. My, my lunch time starts at 12.50, mate. So I'll, I'll be able to watch that on a lunch break and then hopefully, uh, I don't know, I've got a study period or something like that afterwards. Brilliant. I'll just get all the kids to watch it. How good. Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> I'll get behind the girls because this will be a great test match um, and has big ramifications for the preparation for World Cup later in the year. Yep. Well, why don't we jump on into the game reviews, mate? Um, it was an action-packed round of Super Rugby Pacific and there were a lot of upsets, uh, three major upsets throughout the weekend, which really stuffed up my travel plans uh, for next weekend. Planning on heading down to Canberra to watch what I thought was a pretty locked-in quarterfinals appearance between Brumbies and the Waratahs, but that is not to be. So why don't we start off with the first match Crusaders versus the Reds over in Christchurch with the Crusaders getting up 28 to 15. Um, look, there are a lot of talking points from this game. Why don't we just start with the obvious one? Pablo Matera's tip tackle on Jordan Pattaya. First question, how is that not given a yellow card? Secondly, how is it not then followed up subsequently by the judiciary who have now determined that it was in fact um not deserving of a red card it looked exactly in my mind like the tackle on michael hooper from the previous couple of weeks it's a confusing one and it's it's something we've been talking about uh, i'll say last two years definitely but for the last few year, few years as rugby fans that there's just no there's no consistency in these decisions and there's no real understanding from a fan's perspective what the outcome's going to be when we look at these situations we can so mm. often put these big things up on the screen and compare it. Well, this time, last time it happened this way, that time it happened this way, and the outcomes are always different. So yep. in the current framework, the reason this wasn't deemed a red card was because the referee, and Ben O'Keefe from memory was yeah, the referee, and the, yep. the team um, adjudicated that Jordan Pattaya landed more on his shoulder than he did on his head. Um, last week, the yellow, the red card to Michael Hooper was adjudicated that Hooper landed on his neck and head. Therefore, the severity was worse, and that that was a red card. Now, mm. I can't fault the referees at all for that because that's the framework they've been given. That it the it's outcome based. It's where the player lands. It's whether you've tipped them to a point of putting them down in a dangerous position, and they've made first contact with the ground either with their head or neck or their shoulder slash side. Um, or back in this case with Jordan Pattaya. I personally think that kind of process is irrelevant and, and wrong. Uh, maybe not irrelevant. It probably... I I don't want to say that they, they shouldn't take the outcome into con consideration when they're making these decisions, but I feel like the action from the player doing the clean-out, doing the tackle, should be the determining factor in what what outcome is given, what severity is given. Uh, in this instance, Pablo Matera has done enough to pick Jordan Pattaya up off the ground. So he's clearly off the ground. He's at full... Uh, Matera standing up full full right. He's holding Pattaya. He's clearing him out. He takes a step or two from the ruck, twists him in the air and sort of throws him. And in that instance, it's really just up to Pattaya to kind of do some form of gymnastics and twist himself in the yeah, air so that yeah, he doesn't yeah. land on his head. In some ways, it's it's Bataille's, 
um, good graces that he does, he is able to twist himself and not land on his head that saved Matera in this instance. But we and shouldn't I think, be getting to that stage, should we? No, and I think part of the challenging part as a fan is that you just have, um, you, you have incidents throughout a game where an accidental head collision happens, where a player maybe is too upright in a tackle, um, get, gets, gets it wrong uh, accidentally and is red carded for head-on-head contact. And then in a case like this, where Pablo Matera has deliberately, although he shows immediate remorse after doing it, yeah, but that doesn't matter in in the moment, yeah. um, where he deliberately picks Jordan Pataya up, twists him and dumps him onto the ground, uh, that's deliberate foul play, which could have seriously injured the player and led to significant head, neck, spinal injury. And and he gets a yellow card, which isn't, and followed up. It's, it seems to me as a fan, and from a lot of what I'm seeing online, the lack of, um, there, there seemed to be an out-of-proportion response where accidental rugby collisions, which have head-on-head contact, are being punished harsher than incidents where, at least in this case, um, is being punished harder than an incident where a player has deliberately put somebody else into a position where they could have seriously been injured. Um, so, look, that being said, the yellow card did not significantly influence the outcome of this game. No. Um, it, it's an interesting talking point afterwards, but I don't want it to distract from what was a very, very strong Crusaders performance. Yep. They went out to a 15-3 to lead um, by the halftime, and then the Reds kind of came back a bit, scored a try in the 57th minute to Richie Asiata. Um, but the Crusaders basically had the game locked up, um, what was it, 28 to 10, 28 to 10, um, with about 15 minutes remaining. So they were comfortably, comfortably in the lead. And that leaves the Reds as the only team in Super Rugby Pacific, uh, only Australian team in Super Rugby Pacific, to not get a win against Kiwi opposition. I mean, they'll they'll be saying that Moana Pacifica is a team that's based in New Zealand, so they'll take that. But yeah, um, it, it's a disappointing outcome for the Reds. This this last Trans Tasman crossover, moving into it, they were the highest ranked Australian team. They'd only lost that one game against the Brumbies and come very close, even in that loss. Uh, we were all expecting a lot more from them. This game particularly goes to show that yes, we didn't. They didn't have James O'Connor their talismanic leader out there on the park. But regardless, they still had a lot of their impact players on. Taniel Tupo wasn't there, but uh, they had um, Liam Wright, their captain, back this week. They had um, Vunavalu there. They had Jordan Pattaya. They they didn't look like they had a structured game plan coming into this game. They didn't really look like they knew how they wanted to play, where they wanted to attack the Crusaders. It very much looked like a team of superstars with freakish talent who have the ability to break games and do amazing things and the 14 other players on the field were sort of relying on that one person to do that and able to um to sort of capitalize on those freakish incidents Mm, It, it, it was unfortunate this going into this we looking at the way the quarterfinals were going to be were shaping up. There was a little bit of change down the bottom of the competition, but it didn't really change for the Reds or the Crusaders. So it was very, very likely that this was the first match in a two-week series between the Crusaders and the Reds. 
we were hoping that the Reds would really fire a shot and be in contention in this game and then be able to learn a lot and make those changes midweek to really yep. contest it next weekend when it counts. It's at the quarterfinals. But yeah, coming out yeah. of it, it didn't seem like the Reds really took a lot or, or fired a lot of shots at this Crusaders team. Yeah, and it's an interesting point you make there about um, from an outside perspective and neither of us are what you would call absolutely gun rugby analysts, um, but there doesn't seem to be that that objective or observable game plan, uh, which is capitalizing or at least trying to reduce the difficult, uh, reduce the challenges that they're facing with players like James O'Connor and Paisami, um, uh, key backline players and key members of the forward pack as well, like Tony Otupo and William Wright not being available. Yep. Um, they, they just don't seem to be able to uh, find a way to play that's negating those issues. And a great example of that is just the incredibly poor kicking display that we saw, particularly within the first half. A lot of the Reds kicking when they're trying to clear their own line or kicking for um, kicking to relieve pressure, it's just going straight down the next to the Crusaders players. Uh, when they engage, engage in kicking duels, they're not, not able to find the grass particularly effectively or put up contestable kicks that they're getting um, some knock-ons from the opposition in. They just seem to be doing that annoying, aimless Australian rugby kicking game, which I thought that Australian rugby was getting better at not doing. But over the last couple of weeks, I think um, the Reds, or at least particularly within this game, the Reds unfortunately did resort to that. Within the yeah, first it, half it, it almost felt like they got the players got into a point where they weren't quite sure what to do. So they thought they'll kick it away and, and wait and hope that the Crusaders ran it back at them so they could defend for a little while. Yeah. Um, they've got such talent on their wings. They've they've got a player of Suliasi Vunovalu's potential out there. They should be contesting the ball like the Waratahs tend to do with Mark Nwanganitawasi. Short kickoffs, uh, kicks across to to him in space, they didn't do that this week. They haven't done that for the last few weeks. It, it feels like they're not really utilizing the skill set that he as um, yeah. a dual international, well, a dual player um, at the moment, soon to be dual international, uh, has really uh, the game set that he, he brings to this team. They're just not utilizing that at the moment. Yeah. Talking up a couple of players, just to highlight some that had particularly impressive games, Will Jordan, it continues to just be one of the best footballers in the Southern Hemisphere. He is incredible. He had 17 runs, 113 metres, one clean break, six defenders beaten, two offloads. Filippo Dunguni had a really good game, 15 runs, 110 metres, five defenders beaten and an offload. Um, from a defensive perspective, Scotty Barrett, as much as I rip him a fair bit, um, he had 22 tackles and only missed one, which is absolutely incredible. On the other side of the spectrum, Colin Grace had 17 tackles and missed nine of them. So I hope nobody had him in his fantasy team. That would not <laughs> been good for your results. Um, and just to see how much <clears throat> of a linchpin Hamish Stewart is in the Reds' backline from a defensive point of view, 16 tackles, the most across the entire team as a 12. Um, he's just a defensive workhorse and is so important to their structure. Yeah, that's right. And um, it, it's players like him that at the moment really do need to step up and they're doing a lot for this team. It just feels like they're really relying on players like Hunter Baisami, James O'Connor, to come back and, and spark something for them. Yep. It'll be yep. interesting to see what they do this week. I saw a tweet today, I think, by Michael Atkinson 
<clears throat> that Hunter Baisami and a few other players have been flown over uh, with the intention to play. Uh, Liner was another player that is going over, but they don't think he will get much. He won't get game yep. time, but he's just going over to train yep. with them. Um, Probably just a backup, just in case. Yeah, exactly. Uh, interesting to see what they can do this week, how they can turn things around. Still no James O'Connor, still no Taniela Tupo. Those are massive players that, realistically, the Reds have relied very heavily on earlier in the season to get them out of a lot of trouble. The moment At the moment, they don't have those players. So it'll be interesting to see if they can um, do something different and uh, do put in a good performance next week. Well, why don't we go to... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, why don't we go to one of the highlights of the weekend, which was the Fijian and Drua playing the Chiefs in Lautoko in Churchill Park. Lautoka in Churchill Park in Fiji. Absolutely blockbuster crowd, filled to the gates. People literally standing on roofs of nearby buildings to try and see in because they couldn't get tickets. I saw um, there was another incident like the NRC final a few years ago with the the, cre- uh, the tree outside the stadium yep. full of people fought, fell yep. over. Because there was that many people in it. No one was hurt, luckily. But that's just the Fijian culture, isn't it? Get in the tree because (laughs) you can't get a ticket. Yep. Good on him. Good on him. Do anything to get to the game. Now, this was a absolutely an absolutely fantastic match. Nail-biting finish with the Indrua scoring three tries in the final 10 minutes. Uh, one of the most impressive of which was a try to Calavetti Revolvo, which was set up after Vinaya Hambosi's incredible, incredible break from his own try line. Um, receives the ball, ducks down into the tackle, which like flips off the defendants coming in to tackle yeah, like, him. Yeah, ducks under the tackle. Three more. Yeah, he ducks under it and then throws him over, over his back. Um, runs forward, gets through three more tacklers before offloading to Revolvo who then breaks uh, Josh Iwani's cover tackle, I think, before yep. then running away for the try. So a 100-meter team try, 55-meter run from Revovo. It was up there as one of the tries of the entire competition. I don't think it's going to get beaten or has been beaten. Uh, yep. It was just a great match to watch. It was fantastic. And uh, I think the Indrua will be happy with the performance that they put in, but ki- uh, kicking themselves that they had some of those descent, defensive lapses and sort of switched off a little bit towards halftime. There was one try that the Chiefs scored right right before halftime uh, where off a kickoff, the ball was going out on the full. And yeah. being yeah. being the Indrua, they wanted to keep the ball alive. They batted it back in um, and one of the Chiefs players got it and just offloaded and they scored from it. Knowing the final result of the yeah. game, 35-34, that was a massive turning point where it could have if they hadn't just switched off for that one second and seven points is scored against them, they they go on to be a lot closer earlier in that second half. But you can't fault this Fijian team. They were doing everything right in those last 10 minutes. Three tries, absolutely incredible. No team in Super Rugby has the ability to do that. We've seen this season what they're capable of. And I think this game was the... Uh, in a lot of ways, the defining factor why we needed a Fijian team in Super Rugby, yep. the the um, the passion from the crowd that they brought, the packed out atmosphere, the way they played, they didn't give up until the final whistle of the game. I was really, really hoping that they could get over the line. Uh, just, just fantastic for the, the competition as a whole. 
And one of the fascinating things that come out from this is you just check out the statistics from the match. And yes, I just called statistics fascinating. It's okay. Rev's influence has rubbed off on me. But you look at the meters run for this match, 605 meters to the Fijian Drua versus 270, more than double. Um, And then you look at the number of clean breaks and offloads, 32 to 14 defenders beaten sorry defenders beaten and then 16 to 5 offloads and the chiefs had a tackle percentage of 79% which is incredibly low for this level of rugby so it just shows the challenge that the injury have with ball in hand but as we've been saying for so much of this season it needs to be a learning experience in terms of the set piece and making sure that they can focus on those areas. Because one of the areas that I saw them getting a lot of disruption and challenge was within their line out. Yep. So what the Chiefs would, the, the Andrua would be going for a smaller three or four man line out so they can have a few more players in the midfield ready for subsequent plays. But I think it was, um, who was it on the Chiefs team? I think it might've been, uh, I can't remember. Oh, Brody Retallick. He kept just getting himself up in the air every single time. And even if he wasn't able just to get what he does, isn't it? onto the ball, yeah, he, he would disrupt it enough so that the pass down from the top of the line out wasn't accurate into the hands of the scrum half, um, yeah. Frank Almighty. And so it was just enough to disrupt the attacking play. And so it's those, those kinds of areas where give the injury another offseason and one more year's experience, so long as they can keep the majority of their players and not have them poached by like European or Japanese clubs, then they are easily going to make the finals next year, I believe. Yeah, and and one of the things that Mick Burns said after the game was that he's really proud of the progression that the, the players have made this season. They didn't have a great deal of prep coming into Super Rugby with the COVID disruptions having to move to Australia and one of the things that they were talking about all season was getting their players super rugby fit. He said, we're getting close, but we're not quite there yet. And he said he's really proud of the way that they performed and the and he, the, the way they've shown that they have the skill set and the rugby nounce to be able to do these fantastic feats. But they don't quite have that uh, fitness level yet to really compete against some of these teams and chase them down in those last five mm-hmm. or ten minutes. And so he yep. said a good off season next year. We'll get fitter. We will. We know where we where the the bar is now. We know what levels we need to be hitting. We'll get. We'll build on the combinations we've made already this season, and we will get that level of fitness in the off season. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how they can uh, develop next year, and and hopefully bring a few players back from Europe and and yep. keep the team together. But it's it's a really bright future for this Fijian and Drua side. Moving now to the other new entrant into Super Rugby Pacific, Moana Pacifica's 32-22 to 22 victory over the Brumbies. A massive upset, and like I mentioned before, one that's through my travel plans for this coming weekend. Thank you, Moana. I will not be travelling to Hamilton. Oh, let's uh, not blame Moana. You can't take, you can't fault <laughs> them at all, but you've got to blame the Brumbies. They oh, but not it a great was... performance by, the, by them. I think they, they almost felt, they came into this game, it seemed like they were already looking at the finals next week and they just needed to sort of go through the motions to win this. But Christian Liliofano had different plans. He very much did. One of the best 50-22s that you will see in a clutch moment late within the game. Uh, what I just wanted to kind of touch on, it seems like the Brummies for the last couple of weeks have gone into, uh, have put out performances which are far more error-ridden from 
what we expect of than what we expect of the Brumbies. They're generally a lot more clinical. They're usually the most composed of the Australian teams. They've got the most settled forward uh, and well, forward pack and back yep. line. I just feel like it, this should not be happening. And I wonder, I'd love to know what Lord Warrior's reflections are uh, as to why the Brumbies put out this type of performance. Yeah, one of the takeaways I got from watching this game was, and it's a very similar picture that was presented last week with the penalty count against them, but their, um, I guess, willingness in some ways to give away penalties at the breakdown particularly was one of the reasons that they ended up losing this game. There was a lot of penalties given away, just silly, simple stuff like coming through off your feet or coming around the side of the ruck and, and attacking yeah. the, the the number nine or scrum half when the ball's not out yet. They gave away penalties a few times when they were starting to build momentum. And um, in in a few instances as well, Moana actually ended up leapfrogging frogging them down the field. Give give yeah. one penalty away on um, within their half, they kick it down, do the line out, give away another penalty from an offside. <clears throat> and Moana takes another few meters there. So last week, the, the, they were, with their attack, able to keep in the game against the Blues, but their defense really, or their, uh, their discipline is the word, um, really let them down. And that's what ended up probably allowing the Blues to kick that field goal. This week, Moana uh, were, were just riding those penalties as well, and yeah. they were giving them away again. Yeah. And I think a, um, one, one of the challenges that the Brumbies have faced is their positive results... Um, previously previous to the blues result uh, had to a large extent been based upon really impressive aggressiveness from their forward pack particularly considering the absence of bobby valentini for a couple of weeks through yeah. hamstring through his hamstring injury and the a question that i kind of had was how long can that last and how long can that continue can these players continue with that run of form and playing such high intensity physical rugby um, a great example of it was Scotty CO's kind of resurgence over the last month, but he was relatively, um, rel- relatively poor. Not, not, not going to say poor. He didn't have the same impact as he has had previously, particularly in terms of his running game. And so, I just don't think that they've been able to replace Bobby Valentini, particularly mm. in a manner in which he not only gets over the advantage line with his runs, but his ability to hold up an attacking player within a tackle and give his defensive team or give his defenders around him more time to set the line and then get off the line when the ball is played out. Um, yep. It's an area that he is well known for being able to hold them up, kind of throw them back towards their own um, try line and allow his defense to settle. They just can't replicate that. Tom Hooper has been good, but he's, he's not Bobby Valentini and that's, that's fair enough. So exactly. I just think that they haven't been able to adapt to his um, his absence. And it, in some ways, it was uh, the impact from the bench was not what we come to know and expect from the the Brumbies team. We have seen in the past that they in tight games they get their impact off the bench and their their finishes come on with put in strong performances and are able to either ride out the win or get the win. This week, unfortunately, there was a few. Um, uncharacteristic Brumbies errors that were made. Uh, your mate Ryan Lonigan kicking, uh, yeah. knocking the ball on from a quick tap is just silly things like that, which the time was running out, the clock was ticking, and you could see they were starting to get frustrated. And they had had made some of those key dis- decisions and, and rotations, and some of their leaders had had left the field. 
um, like Nick White. And so the team started to get a little bit rattled. One of the things that as well that um, was interesting in some ways that was Moana were very up for this game and were very motivated, particularly coming out of halftime when they were going in 19-7. They came out in the second half and they could see that the game was there for the taking. And so they were doing... They were hitting their rucks really quickly. They were turning yeah. over the ball. They were doing all their little bits really, really well. And the Brumbies just didn't seem to have that same clinicalness that we've seen in the last few weeks. Didn't seem to have that um, that energy or that uh, the direction that we have come to know from them. That and maybe that loss last week against the Blues has really sort of sapped them mentally, and they they were looking forward to an easier game, and Moana didn't give them that. Um, but yeah, it was uncharacteristic performance by this Brumbies team, which has really sort of shaken up their finals perform their final path moving forward next week. Yeah, um, I think a couple of key players that we might just point out are Levi Amua, who had 12 runs, 78 metres, seven defenders beaten, two offloads, and Tavatava Nawai, nine runs, 60 metres, one clean break, seven defenders beaten, one offload. Just some just some really, really impressive performances from an attacking perspective. And then defensively, um, it was shared fairly well across the team, um, although probably some... Uh, actually, yeah, some credit to Henry Timis Dowers with 13 tackles, no misses. Pretty good effort all round there. So, look, huge credit here goes to Moana. They they played a physical, up-tempo game that disrupted the Brumbies, didn't allow them to settle into the match. And with the right decisions being taken in terms of uh, taking points when on offer, going to the corner at the right times of the match and some adept tactical kicking, all yeah. led by Christian Leliafano, that got them over the line against a quality Brumbies team. So Moana should justly be proud of how they finished their debut season and uh, can't wait for them to come back fitter, stronger and more experienced for 2023's edition. And we have to do a big shout out to our man Sakopi Kepu, one of the one of my favourite players. Unfortunately, this looks like it might be his last Super Rugby game, hanging up the boots at the end of the year potentially. Nothing confirmed yet, but uh, getting a red card in his final game ten minutes in is not the way that he would have wanted to finish his Super Rugby career. So maybe he will have to come back for another year to to get that fairy tale finish. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe that would that would be incredible. Uh, why don't we move now to what in my mind? You know what? Uh, no, the it's Brumbies not. This was the most disappointing. No, I'm going to say the most disappointing. Okay, game I thought you were going to say the game of the round. Um, like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, disappointing result of the weekend is probably Moana Brumbies because what we were expecting from the Brumbies. Um, but the Waratahs going up after some pretty good form over the last few weeks against what in many ways was a B or C. Um, string Blues team and ended up going down 17 to 20 in front of a packed hill at Leichhardt. And looking at this match, I mean, we were both there, mate. Yep. The first half sucked. It was so boring. <laughs> so many errors made. Um, hardly any clear de- attacking opportunities. A few penalties missed. Um, it was only Jock McKenzie's 37th minute penalty that took us took any points into the break um what were your kind of read what was your read on the first half before we get into anything that happened on the second yeah it was really frustrating the waratahs were playing their normal game plan or their usual game plan and just weren't quite able to get across the game line like we've seen in the last few weeks one thing that they've done really well particularly um against the new zealand opposition uh in the second half of this competition 
is get their big bodied players to break the initial tackle and then get the offload off to the player coming through at pace. The Blues did really well this week in keeping, making sure that those first up tackles either brought the player to ground or wrapped the ball up so they weren't able to get that offload away. And so yeah. the Waratahs, without that um, game line advantage, didn't have that same impact. And a lot of the time were marginally making meters in the in the contact and not having um, as lucrative uh, momentum up the field like we've seen in previous weeks. Uh, they were... They, they kept the Blues under pressure and there was two players off with the yellow card, yellow cards through various different things um, l- late in that first half. And they kept going to the line, kept kicking the ball to the corner and, and trying to drive over for a mall. But they just weren't quite able to capitalize on that. I think they got over the line two or three times and through being held up or just uh, deemed something that the referee didn't allow the try. Um, mm. Came away with with the with donuts and didn't really ab- weren't able to show the possession that they had had. They weren't coming away with that scoreboard pressure. Um, yep. We spoke about it at halftime that they probably needed to to get some points on the board and and get that scoreline ticking over and keep the Blues under um, under stress with the the pressure from that scoreboard. And they just weren't able yep. to do that. Well, we spoke, um, we, we had the opportunity to chat with Jake Gordon and um, <clears throat> Darren Coleman after the game. And that was one of the questions that came up. Were they kind of looking back on that final 10 minutes within the first half where the um, Blues were down to 13 men and asking, do you, looking back on it now, do you think you should have taken the opportunity to take the points or are you backing your team with the decision you made to go to the corner? And um, Jake Gordon replied initially saying, yep, uh, we felt like it was a good opportunity to make use of the um, two-man advantage, particularly considering that two of them were the the two players out were forwards. So we wanted to, they were flankers, so we wanted to take that opportunity. Um, And unfortunately, it it didn't come off. But yeah, we would do that again if we had that opportunity because you want to apply the pressure and that's an excellent opportunity to be doing that. And then Darren Coleman jumped in and said, yeah, yeah, I'd back the players 100%. They were playing to the game plan, the way in which we've taken penalties. Um, when they're out to the edge of the fields, generally we'll go for the corner. If they're a bit more in the middle, we'll take a kick for the sticks. Um, I'm backing my players with the decisions that we made because they followed the template that we've set as a coaching staff. Yep. Um, so that was just an interesting one. And I don't think it's I don't think it's accurate to compare it to maybe the um the the force or the rebels victory where they mm. did take a few points earlier, because I think the situations are a little bit different. Yep. It wasn't a 13 on 15 situation. Um, and we, we at the end of the first half are going, Oh, should you have taken a point? They should have taken a points, but that's retrospective. Like it's, it's a retrospective comment because we didn't get the try. If we did get the try, we would have been going, yeah, good work. Keep the pressure on. Um, it, there was even a hard. few instances that the Waratahs made early in that second half when already yeah. in yeah. the end of the first half that they had gone to the corner and gone to the mall and not gotten over, even with that two-man advantage. Or they Even at scrum time, I think they lost a penalty. They lost a, they got a penalty against the feed with uh, five, six men that they were pushing yeah. against. They had two men yeah. extra in the scrum and they still gave away the penalty. Yeah. Archer, Archer Holtz just was getting pinged all night. Um in the front row there, but they weren't 
capitalizing on that. They weren't like the Blues set piece was really strong and they were able to nullify that situation. So early in the second half, there was, I think, two or three times where they got penalties in the 22 and they were tossing up whether to go to the corner or go to the posts. And that's when we were starting to say, look, we've had a crack in the end of the first half. Do it once, go to the corner and see how you go. And they did and they, it got turned over. I think that was when Ned Hannigan got pinged for going off his feet at the breakdown. A little bit inconsequential, but it is what it is. Um, yeah. And then they get a penalty a little bit later. And again, they go to the corner, don't go to the posts. I think it, it, what uh, what was the minute they finally got on the board? I've got it. Uh, the Waratahs, 50th Yeah. Minute. So in the, what was it? 55, 52. 50th minute. Yeah, 50th minute. They get that um, that try to Mark Nwong and Nidawasi. Uh, it was, in some ways, it... We were talking about it. They just needed to get on the board. And once they got that first try, it seemed like their confidence sparked up a little bit more. And they were starting to, their their passes were starting to stick. They were making a little bit more momentum in the tackles and they were, and they were uh, getting a little bit of ascendancy that we hadn't quite seen in that first half. So in some ways it was just, quite, we were just wondering whether they should have gotten some points earlier to try mm, and spark yeah, that yeah. sort of momentum and that motivation from the team. But um, yeah. Interesting to see. Yeah, look, um, one thing I want to quickly just touch on, and this will be sour grapes to anybody that is not a Waratahs fan, so I'm, I'm just going to say this straight out. This is Andrew, um, this isn't me. No, mate, we were both talking about it after the game. Don't, <laughs> don't, just, don't just claim this. I'm choosing um, not to engage in it. <laughs> so, look, I just found it really, really difficult when in the first half, the referee who was... Um, Paul Williams. Again. Paul Williams, yeah. Um, the Waratahs are hot on the attack. There's been a yellow card already, and they, they're moving the ball in from the sideline into the middle of the field with a few hit-ups. And in one of the one of the rucks, a Waratahs player goes off his feet, but there are no Blues players whatsoever who are even trying to challenge for the ball. Yep. Um, and then Paul Williams calls it up for a penalty for going off his feet, which te- technically, yeah, it's accurate. Technically, you're correct. Um, but the, the material impact on the game, there was none. And so it's one of those penalties that's called that slows the game down and disrupts attacking opportunity when it didn't have an impact mm. on the play. But the Blues the weren't itself. contesting that breakdown. They correct conceded correct. they yeah. lost it and were setting for the next one. Yeah, correct. They'd already started folding. It, it didn't make a difference, right? Yeah. Um, and then in a final sequence of play um, where the Blues do incredibly well to get the ball back um, off the kick, they then drive it upfield, run after run, getting over the advantage line, getting closer and lining up for the drop kick. Um, we we went back and had a look uh, at the replay of this and of uh, roughly roughly the four or five, five or six yeah. four four or five six rucks beforehand, we counted about all but one where Blues players went off their feet and most of those times Waratahs players are kind of trying to contest it in order to get um, the ball back and, and obviously win the game. Uh, and it just frustrated me so much as a Tars fan being there at the game, just going, bro, you stuffed up an awesome attacking opportunity when we had a one or two man advantage in the first half. And now there's like four or five um, rucks in a row where you're not calling off your feet by Blues players because you don't want a penalty to decide the game. Like just, just consistency. Mm-hmm. If you blow it, you, and the Blues players get angry, you just go, um, oh, yeah, if you blow it and the Blues players get angry, all he had to say was, I gave one to the Waratahs in the pre- uh, against the Waratahs in the first half for exactly the same thing. I'm being consistent. Yep. Um, and that, that just annoyed me. But then again, the Waratahs were their own worst enemies and 
uh, did not play to a high enough level to, yeah. to win the match. Credit to the Blues. They clutched it. Zan Sullivan's kick was clutch. Yeah. Well done. And, and he, he did really well to get that over. There was three or four Waratahs players charging him down hard. So yeah, it takes yeah. guts to, he to did go for well. the drop goal and, and to, yeah. um, to, to pull it off. Uh, we, we were hoping that the Waratahs would put in a, like to wrap up this game and, and move yeah, on to the we'll next one. On. We were hoping yeah. the Waratahs would do better this week. Uh, Darren Coleman did say in the post-match presser that realistically they couldn't, there was no change in the outcome of who they would have played uh, in the quarterfinals from this game. Had they won, they would have played the, the Chiefs. Had they lost, which they did, they still play the Chiefs. So they didn't really um, lose anything by not winning the game in some ways. Like he, he wasn't as downhearted as I think we were expecting him to be and was sort of saying that we, we learned a lot from this loss. We didn't play our best game. We, yeah. we weren't as enthusiastic as we were last week against the Highlanders. So in some ways, hopefully we can see them bounce back from this and, and take a lot of learnings from this loss and move it forward into the quarterfinal next week. Well, we can then move on to two of the good news stories from the weekend. It was pretty incredible again to uh, be able to reflect back and think with this final round, we were expecting the Waratahs to win. We were expecting the Brumbies to win. Uh, but both of them, yeah, lost. And it was the Force and the Rebels that came out getting the victory over New Zealand competition, uh, which which was really, really pleasing and impressive. So to start with, the Force were playing the final game of the season um, at home against the Hurricanes at HBF Park in Perth and came away 27 to 22 victors in what was a pulsating encounter. Uh, went back and forth a few times throughout the match. It was the swan song, the final game for Richard Kahui, Greg Holmes and Jeremy Thrush. It's also been reported that Andrew Reddy's on the way out too, that he may not be um, re-signing for 2023. So it could well be whole scale changes. But before we talk about Kind of the players leaving, what they're going to do moving forward. Yeah. Uh, how good was this game, and how good was it to see the force getting a win? Oh, fantastic! And it, again, it goes to show we've been talking about the last few weeks that this this force team has not really put a lot of heart out on the field. That they some of the performances and the effort they had put out just was not quite up to the level that we were expecting from them. Um, and in a lot of ways, this game it was a little unfortunate that it came to their final game of the year for them to have to really push for that finals eight spot in the quarters, but they were playing for it and they were doing everything they possibly could to try and get that. And late in the game, getting that try, um, you could see the, just the enthusiasm from the players. It was fantastic mm -hmm. to see. They were playing with all heart for, uh, for Tim Sampson last game as head coach for the force the players were hoping, and, and the funny thing was that when the final whistle was was blown, they didn't quite know yet if they were in the quarterfinals or not because the result of the Rebels game the next day was going to be that deciding factor. In some ways, it's a little unfortunate that they left their season so late and and that the outcome had to be reliant on the Rebels game, but um, fantastic to see them get the win and, and some of the players really did stand up and put in a great performance. Yeah, especially considering the fact that, um, that they only had 33% territory throughout the game, 25% uh, in the second half. They were basically defending their own line for the vast majority of the second half. And um, they base, they had to do a lot of covering tackles. The, the Hurricanes had some players who were really on fire. 
the Canes had 27 defenders beaten to 11 from the um, Western Force. So that was obviously incredible to see. Um, it was really impressive, particularly from Wes Hooson, who had 10 runs, 99 metres, six defenders beaten across the whole game, um, as well as... Actually, no, I'll pause on those because I don't want to go through too many more stats. But look, it was a really, really good performance from a couple of key players. How good is Aiden Morgan? Yeah. I am every single game that he plays loving what he's bringing to the attacking um, play of the Hurricanes, particularly when he gets involved in the second pass. Yeah. So if he's not first receive and he's able to use a bit more of his acceleration and top end speed to then kind of get shoulders through the tackle and give the ball away, it's, it's just brilliant to watch. Yeah, the, this Hurricanes team has the capacity to really break things from nothing. Um, and it was fantastic for the force to be able to really hang in there and, and match them physicality-wise and, and get that victory at the end there. And um, end of the season, Hurricanes already made their way into the finals, but the, the Western force, you know, you can't take away from them the fact that they were able to score that try in the 76th minute. Michael McDonald going over there and... Uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, just Byron Rosson, man. Byron Rosson going over in the seventy fourth. Oh, sorry. Yes, McDonald got the conversion. He got the penalty. Uh, the uh, McDonald kicked the conversion, didn't he? Yeah, sorry. Um, but yeah, fantastic to see Ian Pryor in his hundredth Super Rugby cap as well, getting the victory. Um, such a, a great man for the Western Force, and such a great man um, for Australian rugby. So fantastic for him to get that as well. Yeah, yeah. So some really, really good news stories on there. Um, a couple of the players that, to my mind, stood out. I think this is probably one of the best games we've seen from Tim Amstey in yeah. a long time. Possibly his best match of the season. Um, a couple of the runs that he made coming up, coming back against the grain and then having the agility to kind of step out from that running line and get around the defending, the covering players was just really, really impressive. Showed a bit more of that kind of sevens agility combined with some of the runs or some of the lines that you'd expect within a 15-man game. I uh, thought he was really strong. Santiago Madrano, who's also leaving at the end of the season, um, had one of his best games as well with a really well-taken try. So there were a few players that I think really stepped up and it was just great to see the force who um, we've been just, I think, justifiably critical about over the last few weeks. I think just a little bit season um, on frustrated a as well, like from a fan a perspective. That they, have, they have players that have the capability and the ability to play really well and do some of the things that we saw this week. And they just weren't yeah. doing that. And they weren't pulling off some of the um, simple things that we kind of expect at super rugby level. Uh, yeah. This week was, things just clicked for them. So it was fantastic to see. Unfortunately, it was their last game of the year and they weren't able to scrape into the finals with the result the next day, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, yep. But yeah, as we mentioned, it's good to send off some of those uh, players with a win. All right, let's move to the final match of the weekend, which was the Rebels versus the Highlanders being played at Double MI Park in Melbourne. And the Rebels came away 31-30 victors, being able to hold off the Highlanders who are finishing incredibly fast in the final minutes of that match. Um, it was, the ending was marred by a little bit of controversy that we might yeah. start with. Uh, so the the Rebels get a turnover by um, Richard Hardwick. Yep. It's within their own half, about probably five, 10 metres in their own half near the sideline. And um, Matty Tamua is, or Tuamua is pretty keen to kick the ball into in for a line out and to try and push for a try, knowing 
that if they'd been able to get a converted try, it would have meant that the force went into number eight rather than the Highlanders. Yep. Um, so he was lining up to take, he even indicated to the referee, I'm going for the line out, yep. um, got kicking to touch. And then he obviously got yelled at and got a call from the sideline to say, no, kick it out. And so he took the quick tap and then kicked it out to end the game. But he wasn't happy about it. He didn't celebrate with his mates for the first, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds. So the question I have for you, Mitch, is should the Rebels have pushed on to try and get a converted try to enable the force to go through into the finals? Yeah, I think they should have. I mean, realistically, there was no, nothing negative could have come off for the Rebels. Even if they lost the game, um, it, like, if they turned it over, the Highlanders would have kicked it out. Um, it would have been hard for the Highlanders to go from that point back up the field and try and win the game. So I don't know, like the Highlanders had only needed a losing bonus point to get through to the finals. So they were happy to, to end things as it was. They, the Rebels weren't in with a shot. There was no hard, like nothing came of not winning this game. So it would have been good to see them um, to push on for the, the Western Force's sake. But I mean, at the end of the day, like the Western Force left their run a little bit yep. late and it, it's always hard yep. if you're reliant on other results to go your way to try and scrape into the finals that I mean I wouldn't ever want to have my finals hopes of riding on the Rebels beating a New Zealand team um, <laughs> fantastic that they did get the victory this week but it's you know it's been a bit up and down season for the Rebels this year um, it really so is. you know you would have been and it, it was great to see on stand every now and then they did have a shot of the um, force team sitting there watching it over in Perth and and cheering along when the Rebels scored tries and things like that. So that was that was great to see from a sort of communal Australian rugby sense. But um, at the end of the day, look, the, the Rebels get an, another win over a New Zealand team and it makes their season not look as bad as it probably would have had they not got that victory. So um, I can understand why they didn't take it. Pretty interesting that they didn't cut to the force players when Matty Tamua Tomua kicked it, kicked it out though. So oh, that's think, an interesting. I one. think they broke the TV <laughs> and the and the camera and like was, yeah, and so it just adds and... so much spice to their next matchup in 2023. Uh, imagine that a few words might get said. Um, so there's the idealist in me that really wishes that the rebels had gone for the yeah. converted try. I, I really wish that they had. I completely understand um, and I don't criticize the kind of Rebels coaching staff or whoever it was that gave the call for them to just, just take the tap and kick it out. Yep. I, I'm not criticizing them. I wish they hadn't because it could have set up something that was really an incredible story for rugby. But yeah, look, each of their own Rebels got to do what they want, got to do, got to win a game. And the force really just shouldn't have been rubbish for the past few weeks and should have got a few more points. Um, and then they wouldn't have had to rely upon the Rebels, like you said. Mate, let's quickly talk about the game itself, though, rather than just the kind of ending of it. Controversy. controversy. Yeah, the controversy. That was that was a good performance from the Melbourne Rebels. They looked a lot more settled. And I think yeah. what we're seeing is the, the fruit that is being born from the trees that are planted, which were... Carter Gordon at 10 and Matt Tuamua at 12 for an extended period of time. Wow, what a shock that Matt Tuamua is a good 12 and that Carter Gordon is a good 10 and that if you play them together, they're going to get better. Like, I don't see how that was a hard decision to make, but the performance this week has really, and, and actually over the last couple of weeks, has vindicated that. 
Yeah, well, it's been interesting that they've still um, got Andrew Callaway playing the centres, that this mm. is their their strongest team of the year and they're still playing Callaway in the centres. Like, he's playing wing for the Wallabies. You think that that's where he would be playing for the Rebels. That's clearly yep. his strength and that's where he's going to be utilised in the international arena. So um, that that selection was a little bit interesting and, and they've moved him around so much this season. But yeah, it was great to see that they're actually starting to gel that combination of 10 and 12 with Matt Tormoa and, and Carter Gordon. And like, hopefully now that they can see that that is the future there, those are the two players that need to be playing those positions and moving forward, they can start to build that connection and, and move yep. forward into the off from the off season and into next year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, apart from that, you look at the stats from the game and a fairly standard possession and territory was split. Uh, fair few more, 130 more metres run for the Highlanders. Um, and then when you get into the individual player statistics, um, you had some good running performances from Glenn Vihu out in the wing, so eight yeah. run, 72 metres. Um, Thomas Umanga Jensen was kind of used as a bit of the battering ram with 14 runs, but he was very devastating whilst doing so for 55 metres, one clean break, four defenders beaten and three offloads. So he was really, really influential in his um, in his involvements. And then defensively, look, nobody really stands out as having an absolutely head and shoulders game above everybody else. Except for maybe Josh Cannum at lock, who had 11 tackles. Rob Liotta had 12. It's good to see him getting a bit more game time, coming yeah. back from injury. Um, he kind of burst up back into the team and was really impressive. I think this week he did not have as strong an attacking game, but he was defensively quite sound. Yeah, and Jordan Willessey as well as a player that has been so hot and cold over the last few years. It was great to see him get some good minutes and, and have some good impacts in the game. Um, and... And uh, Pone Farmasili was just out there absolutely trying to kill blokes. So that's always fun to watch. I've got one question <laughs> for you, though, and it, it's a little bit of a head scratcher, but why did they scrub that try uh, to James from that oh, sort of potential knock on to James Tuttle in the lead up? Like that. Yeah, so. That is going to be Nick one, one of the try. most questionable decisions from a TMO I've seen all year. Oh, it was just it was just a joke, mate. Like, so Nick, for those who haven't seen it, Nick Juice, who <laughs> stepped in at 15, has. Um, after some good play inside of him, gone into the corner for a try. And then they call it back for the previous ruck where James Tuttle has reached down to get the ball. His hands are on the ball. He's kind of rolled forward a little bit, maybe like 10 centimetres whilst his hands are still on the ball. He's wrapped his hands around it into a good passing position at either end of the ball and then whipped it out from there. And they're saying that because the ball went forward on the ground whilst it was on under his hands or in his hands, that that's, that's a knock on. And I just, I just found that really puzzling. I, I thought it was, again, one of those things that's overly pedantic mm. and is a bit of a borderline interpretation um, of, of the laws or borderline application of the laws. It's almost like what, what can we find in this lead up to, to not award this try? Um, yeah. And, yeah. and Morgan Turner, we did say on the call, and I, I tend to agree with what he said that, had that been the act of scoring the try, there was no separation, so it would have been it would have been granted. The fact is, like, does do you not need to drop the ball for it to be a knock on? Like, it needs to move out of your hands. But I mean, it, it's the call. It it's the call, and it un, luckily the Rebels pulled it off and got the victory. But it is a frustrating um, frustrating call yeah. there when the Timo gets involved. Look, when when you read the actual law itself, it says a knock on. It is a knock on when a player in tackling. 
Oh wait, no, I'm I'm reading the tackle, the tackle knock on. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading the wrong bit. Never mind. I'm, re- like I'm reading four the wrong million bit. laws in the law oh, book. It's so crazy, isn't it? it? You don't worry that you can't find it, but that's fine. Um, any any other final thoughts on on this game? I think to wrap it up, really, just fantastic to see the Force and the Rebels get get up over their opposition this weekend. And I mean, the Highlanders and the Hurricanes aren't bad teams by any measure. So that it's really good to see them both get some victories at home for their fans as well. Um, it, in some ways, it sort of really does kick the Reds that much more that they weren't able to get a, a win against a, a New Zealand side this year, um, again, a, apart from a one of Pacifica, but fantastic for both the Force and the Rebels to end their season with that victory, um, knowing that they won't make it through to the quarters next week. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm happy for us to be moving on and we'll continue our chat with the quarterfinal preview. All right, let's get into it. Let's go. All right, the final the final regular part of the season for Super Rugby Pacific is over and we're now into the quarterfinals. So this weekend we do have four games uh, of the quarterfinals. It's all to play for now. Sudden death. Uh, it's going to be exciting to see who comes through this weekend, but we'll dive through the first four games and, and we'll have a bit of a chat around our predictions. So um, how the finals series work. So the team that finished first plays the team that finished eighth um, and so on and so forth. So two play seven, three play six uh, and four play five. So uh, the first game of the round or the weekend is played on Friday night. Caesars Crusaders hosting the Queensland Reds. This kicks off at 5.05 p.m. on Friday afternoon. And Ando, how do you see this one going? Oh, pretty comfortable Crusaders victory, really. Um, I don't believe the Reds are going to be getting many of the gun players back. Maybe a kind of 80% Hunter Paisami. Yep. Um, from the sounds of it, they're pushing for him to be available, even if he's not 100% fit. So I, I don't see any way in which this Reds team, particularly because their pack is a little bit underpowered, um, without Taniela Tupo being there from being able to match it with what is essentially an all-black side um, in, in many key positions. So as much as I want the Reds to do well and I want them to put up a good performance and get an upset, I think the class and the firepower of the Crusaders is just going to be too much. Mm. Yeah, and Richie Mawanga to come back this week could be a big thing for the Crusaders, but I'm trying to remain hopeful and think that maybe Brad Thorne's playing the long game here and last <laughs> week he kind of just said, guys, go out there, do what you want. doesn't really matter. It's not going to change much. We've got a game plan for next week. We'll take our learnings and see how the Crusaders react to certain things, but I've got a different game plan we're going to implement in the final, and we'll see how that goes. So that's what I'm hopeful of, um, that Brad Thorne does have a plan and he doesn't just, we don't see a repeat of last weekend. Yep. But, you know, who knows? Um, who knows? Interesting to see what red side shows up and if they can actually challenge this Crusaders team. As we know, the Crusaders, when it gets to finals footy, just seem to grow an extra set of legs. So um, wouldn't be surprised if they come away from these comfortable victors either. Uh, second game of the weekend is played on Saturday afternoon. It's our Waratahs against the Chiefs. Um, this is being played over in Waikato, not down in Canberra, unfortunately. So we won't be able to get there to yell on the boys. Can't feel the hill any more this week. Uh, how do you see this one going, Ando? Uh, for this one, 
Again, I think it's going to be a home team victory. I mean, I am just going with the favourites here um, with the higher ranked teams. I, th- I think the Tars are genuinely a chance, though. I think they're more of a chance than Reds are against the Crusaders um, because the Waratahs have had some fairly strong performances recently against Kiwi teams. Um, if we take out the blip that was this weekend against the Blues, they're probably one of the form Aussie teams at the moment. Um, but obviously their performance across the whole season hasn't been as good as the Crusaders and Reds. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, the, the Brumbies and the Reds. Um, so I I just think that the the Waratahs, if they were able to have Harry Johnson Holmes back, if they were able to get Izzy Parisi back, are, are a genuine chance. Without Harry, without Izzy, we just don't have in my mind the um, strike power. We've got Harry Ryan. To make inroads. We've got Paddy Ryan. He didn't get carded this weekend. How good yeah, exactly. is that? That's um, like take that, wins. That's that. Yeah, we'll take it bit by bit. Uh, I, I just think that we're seriously lacking in strike power, um, in in gain line attack, in our outside backs. I'd like yep. to see Mark Nwanganitawase. Um, he's doing some great finishing on the wings, and we saw that obviously over the weekend. I'd like him to come inside a little bit more because whilst Newsom fills a role. Um, he doesn't generally have the capacity to kind of break through the line, get his shoulders free and get an offload going. And Noanganitawase has got the frame and the physicality to do that more effectively. Um, so if everything falls into place, the Waratahs are a chance, but I expect the Chiefs to come away victor- victorious. I'm going to say the Waratahs are going to come away victors in this one, just to uh, change things up, yeah. go with the head and the heart. Yeah. Uh, the Chiefs are coming home from Latoka in Fiji this week and, if you listen to what Brad Weber said in the post-match interview, um, he said that morning in Hamilton it was two degrees and there in Latoka it was 30 degrees. So that was one of the things that they were definitely battling with. And I think just the amount of travel that they've had to do back and forth in the last seven days is probably yep. not as ideal as coming over from Sydney, which it's it's been cold in Sydney this week as well. So that might prepare the Waratahs well for uh, a Saturday afternoon game in Waikato. Um so I'm going to say the Waratahs. I think Darren Coleman <laughs> can really get the boys up for this one. And it's all to play for now. So we'll see how we go. Um, for those who are going to watch this one, it is on Stan Sports at 2.35 kickoff on Saturday afternoon. We move into the third game of the weekend, Saturday. Uh, even It's still Saturday afternoon. We've got a, um, three games on Saturday this week. 5.05 p.m. Uh, we have the Auckland Blues hosting the Highlanders at Eden Park. I think there's only one way that this will go, but what are you? Mm-hmm. How do you see this one going, Ando? And oh, why it's... is it Highlanders by 50? Well, Highlanders by 50 because you have imbibed some mushrooms that have been growing in this mossy weather. <laughs> um, I think that this will be a dominant Blues performance, particularly because of the forward strength that they have compared to the Highlanders. Yeah. Um, that full strength Blues pack is scary and the Highlanders just won't be able to match it, even though they've got... Um, some solid players who work incredibly hard. They're just not going to be able to compete. Um, Aaron Smith's yippies and woohoos won't be able to get them over the line enough. <laughs> and um, I think that it just sums it up when you see when you think that at number ten they're going to have Bowden Barrett and the Highlanders will have Marty Banks. And so those two <laughs> players alone is probably just the ma- imbalance of of rugby ability there. Um, yep. I, I don't see this going any other way than the Blues by quite a comfortable margin. But yep. in saying that, this is the repeat of the Super Rugby Trans-Tasman final from last year. So 
you never know. The Highlanders did get to the final last year. They might be able to do something a little bit different and, and spark something. We, who knows? Uh, last yeah. game of the weekend is down in Canberra, 7.45 p.m. kickoff. Uh, good friend of the pod, Joey Hoey, will definitely be down there uh, braving it with the flags and, and the cold weather and uh, and screaming for the Brumbies. Uh, they're hosting the Hurricanes. Which way do you see this one going, Endo? Uh, look, I think the Brumbies have enough to get this done if they can eliminate some of the areas from mm. the game that have been present over the last couple of weeks. And if they can be maybe adjusting their running lines or the um, way in which they're setting up their pods to be a little bit less predictable so that they're getting a bit more front football as they're doing their carries. I think the what, what really hurt them against Moana was their inability to get over the advantage line with their carries. And so if they can address that, this Hurricanes team, um, particularly coming off a loss, may well be um, a bit wounded and a bit ready or a bit a bit ripe for the picking. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to put my my hat behind the Brumbies in this one as well. Uh, back the Australian contingent. I think the biggest area the Brumbies need to address this week, and we haven't seen any real momentum being um, shifted this way in the last few weeks, is their discipline and their willingness to give away penalties at the breakdown. I think if they can get on the referee's good side early in the game, they've got such a strong set piece that they should be able to overpower the Hurricanes like we saw earlier in the year. Um, They need to stop giving away silly penalties at the breakdown from not rolling away or coming in at the side or going off their feet. So if they can clean up that area of the game, I think they're in with a good shot against the Hurricanes. Um, Fantastic. So that is the quarterfinals for Super Rugby Pacific. Uh, we then move on to the semi-finals and then the final after that, where the Waratahs will be crowned 2021 Super Rugby champion. So 2022, sorry, two <laughs> Super Rugby champions. Um, Just a little bit out of touch, but either way, why don't we move on into the locker room? Because we've had some fun questions come in. It would be yep. really, really good to check Let's out. So it. first things first, we've got a question in here from, um, or a statement from Matt from Gold Digger. Would love to see a Super Rugby Pacific 15 chosen from all teams. Yeah, we're really keen to do that. We'll wait until the final series is done and dusted. Can we um, just choose Tenny Tupo in every position? That'd be great. That'd be great. Yep. Uh, especially at 15. I think he'd be golden there. Yep. Um, why don't we jump ahead now to Ed Morton. After a rather disappointing year from the Western Force where they showed so much potential at the beginning of the season, where to now? What do they need to do to be far more competitive next year? So I think next year, personally, and I'll, I'll make a comment quickly and then you can jump in. Um, I think the challenge that they're going to have is they're basically going to be going through another whole rebuilding platform or program. Um, process is what I'm looking for. If they don't have Santiago, Santiago Medrano, Andrew Reddy, Greg Holmes, Jeremy Thrush, Richard Kahui, Byron Rolston, Fergus Lee Warner, um, who else is going? Lots of players. Uh, that, that's all I can remember off the top of my head, and that was eight players all of whom are senior experienced players um, going for overseas clubs. That That's a really big challenge. And I don't think there's been any news yet about Ian Pryor re-signing, although the intention he has is from what we spoke to him about on the pod was to re-sign. Mm. Um, it's just going to be really, really difficult. So I think they're going to need to see if they can get more preseason games under their belt as a squad uh, beyond just the regular two that happens, even if they do a bit of a tour somewhere and see if they can be playing maybe some Mudder 10 teams over in Queensland um, or ITM teams over in over in New Zealand. I'm New not Zealand. saying the right words. I mean, you could um, play them in Queensland if you want and do it as like a um, a halfway for both teams. That, to- that You could. 
It could. Um, but yeah, I think they just need to get some more game time as a squad in a preseason to try and allow whatever new combinations they pick, whatever players they bring in from their force academy, and whatever recruits that they do get, um, the, the opportunity to gel together as a team. I think the difficult thing for the force and where they currently sit, and there's been a little bit of talk um, around the potential for sort of like a Super Rugby AU format to come come about that's being played as like a state versus state A program um, that might be played later in the year when the Wallabies and um, Australia A are playing in um, that Pacific Nations tournament, that the Super Rugby sides will play some form of uh, competition, whether it's home and away, don't really know the, the details yet about, but just get those squad players a little bit more game time together in the second half of the year. The issue that the force have with that is that their their contingent of players who are finishing up probably won't play in that competition. Tim Sampson finishes off at the end of the year, so he probably will, if this mm. competition goes ahead, see them through that, but not really looking forward to the future. I don't think Simon Cron gets into Australia until probably around the end of the year, early next year, um, and can start getting his coaching staff together and putting a program together for the Western Four. So he's probably only get going to get enough time with hands on time with the team for preseason next year. At the yep. current time, the players that they're going to sign haven't been announced. So we don't know who's coming. Um, it's a difficult situation for the force to find themselves in to build that cohesion, to start to prep for next year when they have, they're really sort of starting from scratch and going again. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a big ask for Simon Cron to come in. I, I think what we will see though, is that, and he, he's been around the Australian rugby scene for a little while. He is in Japan at the moment, but I think he's been keeping an eye on what's going on over here in Australia. So I would not be surprised for a few more big signings from some of the other Australian provinces uh, mm-hmm. for the Western Force next year to really bolster that squad. Um, and yeah, just get some game time under these players and start to gel that. Uh, but yeah, it's going to it's gonna be a difficult year next year to, to build things. But... We have seen some improvement from the Waratahs this year under Darren Coleman. So it's not yep. impossible. Yeah. Uh, let's keep on going. And I'll jump across now into this question here from Vintage Red 25. Lukan Salakai Loto is playing club rugby today with Souths. Brad Thorne, please explain. Mitch, what's your quick take on that one? He's gone overseas. Like he's signed overseas. He's not making the Wallabies. So I think Brad Thorne's wiped him. He's Quade Coopered him. Quade Coopered him. It's rough, isn't it? Um, a much-loved son of Queensland rugby. He was really one of my favourite players for a while, particularly when he was um, a, a regular within a Wallaby squad. Mm. Um, he makes me feel good because I um, I broke my finger a couple of years back, so it's a bit gammy and sticks out a bit. And I sometimes get self-conscious about it, but then I see Lukan Salakailoto's hands and his fingers point in like eight different directions. Yeah. So it just makes me feel good about me. Don't so, ask him um, for directions. <laughs> good point uh jock cudmore asks uh your boy ryan ryan one again is putrid a eh? try explain what the hell's happened to his form this year see i've got a theory i've got a theory and jock um look i i get what you're saying but i just want you to know that if you um if you criticize ryan one again one more time publicly we're gonna have fisty cuffs <laughs> okay um that's it. not true don't hold me to that right, no thanks no thanks um but Seriously, in all seriousness, I think the issue is actually Charlie Gamble's emergence onto the scene at the Waratahs. Now, hear me out here. 
Hear me out. That's a long bro. In my opinion, there are only so many quality moustaches which are allowed within super rugby teams, Australian super rugby teams. And Ryan Lonergan's had this kind of like face slug on his top lip for a little while, he's which I haven't really beard, been that he? impressed with. Yeah, but he's been trying to grow a bit of a bit of a moustache for a little bit right. as well. I haven't been that impressed. Um, he's kind of a Scandinavian background, I reckon, or at least Anglo background. So he gets that like kind of patchy, yeah, little bit yeah. of yeah, not great facial hair. Okay. Whereas Charlie Gamble's mo has just burst onto the scene, taken a whole world by storm, and I think it's called the moustache coefficient, where there's this like osmosis that's coming in where lesser moustaches and the power that comes from them are being drawn towards the greater ones. And so basically, Ryan Lonigan, yeah, yeah, he's either got to get rid of the facial hair or really spend some off some some time in the off season fertilizing it and cultivating it. Speaking so it of um speaking of facial hair, actually, did you notice that James Slipper was clean shaven this week? No, I didn't. Yeah, so so Slips has, has had the beard all, all year and uh, got on the field this week with the, the clean shave and looked about 15 years younger. I couldn't tell who it was for a little while. The commentator <laughs> said Slipper took the ball up. That's not Slipper, is it? Wow. That's not Slipper. What? Uh, and then our final question of um, the locker room comes again from Vintage Red. Out of 10, how do you rate Super Rugby Pacific and why? Mitchell, out of 10? Um, 15, because the Waratahs have got more wins than the Queensland Reds. <laughs> Good. Now, for me, as a genuine response, I'm sitting at about uh, six and a half. Six Ooh. and a half, because I like a lot of what we're offering, but I just feel like a few of the Australian teams haven't performed to the quality or with the consistency that I would have liked them to do. Plus, I also don't think that the kind of marketing and some of the stuff around fan engagement is at the level that the competition needs to be at. And so if uh, rugby, well, Sansa, Rugby Australia and Stan Sport can be working together to improve the fan experience, both from a kind of online, from a viewing perspective and from a on-ground engagement, then I think that we can very easily improve the offering mm. and get even more fans coming along um, on, a, on a weekend, on each weekend. If I answer the question realistically, I think I'd give it an eight. Um, and purely because leading into this competition last year, Trans-Tasman was woeful for the Australian sides. Uh, really disenfranchised the Australian rugby community, going from such a great product that was Super Rugby AU, such hype, moving into Trans-Tasman. I think, what did we get? Two wins last year, two or three, um, and some massive scores against it, against us. Coming into Super Rugby Pacific this year, uh, still has that sort of element of AU slash trans Tasman later in the in the year due to COVID. But I think next year when we can really get that draw immersed throughout the competition, Kiwis one week, Australians the other, that sort of thing, um, we'll see a more uh, even competition. But overall, the, the competitiveness of this competition this year, the fact that we've had so many more wins, we've got this weekend we had the Rebels and the Force get wins over Kiwi opposition where they didn't get that last year also. Um, from a fan perspective, purely from the actual rugby that's being played, 8 out of 10, I agree with what you said, Ando. Uh, probably from an off-field sort of overall product, we're probably sitting at around that 6 because there is so much more that we could be doing. Yep. Yeah, all good points, mate. Well, let's finish it there for the pod. It's been a pleasure being here with you, my friend. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure that you get involved, support the Aussie teams over the upcoming weekend, and let's see if we can get a couple through to the semifinals. Fantastic. Let's go, team. Let's go. Catch you later. Bye. Bye.
Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. 